This is Our Anxiety Stories, the Anxiety Canada podcast with John Bacon. This is the place where people from all walks of life share their anxiety stories to remind you that you are not alone. If you have an anxiety story you'd like to share, contact us at anxietycanada.com slash ouranxietystories. This is John Bateman, and you're listening to Our Anxiety Stories, the Anxiety Canada podcast. And today I'm talking with Michaela Basile of the Anxiety Canada Youth Network. Hi, Michaela. Hi, John. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. How about yourself? I'm doing just fine, thanks. Yeah, I'm having a great time um, meeting a lot of new people and interviewing people with this podcast. Uh, so the way I start this is the name of the show, and I'd like to ask you, what's your anxiety story? Um, Well, I've always been an anxious child. Um, I had bad separation anxiety when I was in elementary school. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when I moved to high school, it kind of morphed into uh, what I would call um, an issue. (laughs) Right, yeah. Um, And I was diagnosed with a generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder and depression when I was 17. Yeah. Uh, my first psychiatrist and um, from then on it's been psychiatrists counselors CBT uh, medication and um, just trying to um, level out my my brain (laughs) yeah for sure tell me a little bit about when you're younger so I guess it kind of so did it really start to happen when you were in high school or middle school, when did you really start remember feeling this way? Um, I remember in elementary school when I didn't understand something, I would panic, but my panic attacks at that time were manifestation of like crying and not being able to breathe. Mm. Um, as I moved into high school, I had what's more um, clinically, I guess, um, described as a panic attack. I had my first really, really bad one when I was in eighth grade. Um, And I I totally remember that moment. It was like tunnel vision and Mm -hmm. I felt like I was going to faint. And my my PE teacher, this is during PE, but it was, Mm -hmm. um, we were watching like a gang violence prevention thing. (laughs) Yeah, that'd start panic attack from just put anybody. Yeah. and I remember my PE teacher had to take me to the office because I, I felt like I was going to faint. Yeah. And, and do you feel like at that point they really knew what was going on? Like, did you find there was sort of empathy happening when that was happening to you? Um, I definitely felt like I was cared for and people were concerned for me. Um, I didn't know that it was called a panic attack until I put some more research in. Um, and my, I told my mom when I got home, she was mad at me that I walked home and I didn't call her to drive me home. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and we, we looked more into it and, um, um, yeah, we kind of thought that there might be an issue and to get some help, um, to prevent more of them. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I remember my, I have two kind of distinct memories, one memory of a panic attack when I was about 12 and then another one when I was closer to, you know, maybe 18 or 19. And you certainly describe that feeling quite well. That, mm-hmm. that seems to be a similar experience for many people when they have kind of that classic 
uh, panic attack. So how long did it take you to get into, to get into seek help with a psychiatrist? Did it take you time to find somebody that worked with you or did you just get into it right away? Um, it took some time. Um, I was really affected by stigma, um, internalized stigma. Um, so I didn't seek help for quite a long time until I got frustrated with feeling this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was put on a wait list at the um, Ministry of Family or, or Children or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was able to see a psychiatrist through there when I was 17. How long did it take you take for your wait list? Do you remember how long that took? Uh, they said it was going to be a year, but since I was on the cusp, um, they end services when you're 19. They kind of um, made it go faster for me. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's um, it's yeah. interesting how long sometimes it can take, and then, and then within that to find somebody that you can kind of work with was, was counseling a part of it? Was talk therapy something that was helpful for you? Yeah, they put me with uh, a counselor there. Um, we didn't really do talk therapy. It was more CBT and learning tools to help um, help mitigate my anxiety, my panic, and my depression. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the first time where I sat down with like a professional um, who kind of understood what I was going through and, and, and could tell me the kind of things that I could utilize when I was feeling that way. Yeah. What, what kind of difference did that make for you? Like, I remember when I finally, when they finally put a name on it for me, it felt kind of good. It was a bit of a relief knowing it was something that people got. Did you have that same experience? Like, did you feel any sense of relief knowing that you weren't alone or that this was something that was kind of normal and that happened to people? Yeah, it's weird to feel like relieved once you get a diagnosis, but it's also like validating in your experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, this is something that I'm actually going through and there's a name for it. And now I'm able to get the help that I need. Yeah, definitely. Um, you mentioned a stigma. You said, did you say an internal stigma? Is that the term you used? Yeah, internalized stigma. So describe what that is to me, an internalized stigma. Um, I guess through like consuming media and just the tropes around mental health services, like, oh, they're going to put you in a a scary asylum or all that, that kind of like was internalized with me. And I thought that what I was feeling was because it was bad or I was going crazy or I was losing it. And um, I was putting that on myself. Um, My family was pretty supportive with everything and they understood that what I was feeling wasn't like, bad or meant that I was crazy or insane. Um, I've definitely put more pressure on myself um, in a lot of ways, especially this way. Do you feel like that you're, so you, do you feel like your peers kind of understood what was going on? Do you feel like there was any stigma around your peer group or, or people like that? Um, no, I was pretty open, like in high school, definitely I was open, like, oh, I'm going to go see the counselor today. And then they'd ask me how I was. Um, and then throughout university, I kind of branched out and started volunteering with a bunch of mental health organizations and, um, started doing workshops around self-care and suicide prevention. So Mm -hmm. I kind of became like that mental health girl, um, Mm -hmm. which was really awesome. So yeah. now 
just now everyone just um, kind of knows really. That's fabulous. So, so uh, you, you've turned this kind of what can be for many a debilitating illness into sort of an advantage or sort of something that you, uh, you know, tie your identity to in a positive way. Yeah, it was really important since it took a little bit time for me to get help. Um, it was really important that I could do things to make it easier for other people to get help. Yeah, it's an important thing. And, and uh, it's funny you say a little bit of time because it only took me about, uh, you know, 40 years to finally figure <laughs> that out where, where if you are able to and you can share your experience with people that it can really help people. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about uh, the Anxiety Canada Youth Network. Uh, oh, it's great. Um, it's a bunch of youth from across Canada. Um, and we all get together and we have meetings. Um, and we're deciding on different fundraisers and advocacy events. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but we're having a, a yoga event coming up, which yep. is going to be cool. Um, and yeah, it's just a bunch of like-minded, uh, youth who are really interested in promoting, um, Anxiety Canada and promoting, um, that there doesn't need to be stigma around getting help. That, yeah, that's of course incredible work and Anxiety Canada is really great at uniting people like that. Are you meeting people, you're meeting people right across the country, sort of virtually? Yeah, I think most of us are in the Vancouver area, um, but there are, I think, some in like Ontario and then um, someone in the uh, Atlantic or the Maritimes. Yeah. Yeah, because Anxiety Canada not too long ago was still just Anxiety BC. They're just still Anxiety <laughs> British Columbia. And recently they've become this this national entity, which is which is fabulous so what other kinds of um what other kinds of activities do you think do you foresee being done so let me ask this so in terms of how it might work say for this yoga uh event you're talking about how does how does that work what does that look like how do you think that will look um i know that we're doing it all in zoom since um the covid pandemic but um i think um I think it might be a fundraiser. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of just so people are on Zoom and is there are there people that are like, are, is there kind of tips with dealing with anxiety or how yoga helps people with anxiety? Because I know it is a tool that people often use. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. And what and what about you? Like in terms of tools that you find effective, was it did you say your your therapist uh, got you into cognitive behavioral therapy? Yeah, that's been super helpful. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't really get into that until until sort of more recently, too, in the last five or 10 years. It, you know, I guess I'm a late bloomer, but I also came from an era when there, it's, not so, it's not so much that it was stigmatized as much as it wasn't understood and there wasn't as much of an in infrastructure. And I mm -hmm. think we still need more infrastructure. It's great to see youth like you kind of building infrastructure and 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 um, approaching this in such a kind of normal, this is just a part of life way. Yeah. 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 It's really, it's a uh, really fabulous work. So you, so you do work with uh, thought processes and how you perceive your thinking and, and then making adjustments based on that. 
Yeah, I actually have the 10 thinking traps posted on my wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got, I've got, I think I've got the, the ones that I'm most uh, guilty of using um, in my wallet. Uh, and I do, I do check them from time to time. And it's important for people to hear, you know, what kinds of methods people use and, and mm-hmm. describe, des- describe to me a couple of thinking traps that might be something that you're kind of more um, uh, aware that you might partake in. Um, I know rumination is a really bad one for me. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, black and white thinking. So yes. thinking it's 100% good or bad everything is in the extreme yeah all or nothing yeah 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 um and mind reading so always thinking that someone's thinking negative negatively isn't isn't that that's an amazing one like that's a huge one to like i'm just so jealous of you because i wish (laughs) when i was 22 i knew um about all these things and i just think it's so great that you know these things because mind reading is a big one mm-hmm. um, and if you if people are listening they don't know what that is that is exactly what you just said it's like somebody acts to you in a certain way or you get a certain reaction from somebody and then you kind of try and project what you think they're thinking about yeah. you and definitely in a panic attack situation you kind of get into that where you're thinking oh everyone knows that i'm panicking oh they know this so oh, they see that i'm freaking out um and usually people don't or they're, they're just worried about themselves <laughs> yeah, exactly i mean I, I, uh, I hate to say it but it's with me i've often considered it when i when i if i get into this habit of being concerned about what other people are thinking of me um and this is kind of how i get myself out of the habit sometimes i think that's a bit of a selfish pursuit in that i'm assuming people are thinking about me at all if you know what i mean yeah. Um, when actually, you know, somebody doesn't say hello or does somebody kind of looks at me funny on the street, it's most likely 99% of the time something's going on in their life that has nothing to do with me. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, they're all important things. So another big one of mine is catastrophizing. That's a, that's a good one. Oh, yes. <laughs> I got that one well. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Well, um, listen, Michaela, you're doing such great work and at, at such a young age, um, it really is incredible what you're doing. And I mean, I work with Anxiety Canada, you work with Anxiety Canada, and it's great to uh, meet you and get to know you a little bit. And um, it would be wonderful to hopefully bump into you sometime in an event and we can work on this stuff together and really help uh, people get on their feet and know that they're not alone. Yeah, that would be awesome. Okay, thanks so much for talking and you have a great day. You too, thank you. Okay, take care. Thank you for listening to our anxiety stories. If you'd like to support this podcast or Anxiety Canada, go to anxietycanada.com.